Okay, good morning, everyone. So what we wanted to do was to revisit a set of three talks that we did a few weeks ago, um, partly because we had to leave things out because we've only got a certain amount of time, um, partly because there have been gaps, you know, in the times that we've done the talk, but mostly because we believe that it's really important stuff and it doesn't hurt to remind ourselves. So does anyone remember anything we spoke about during March, before Ian, before Easter, before the baptism? Anyone remember anything? <laughs> oh, there you go. Starfalin, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is what we were speaking about. Rich did a couple of talks, and I did one as well. And, and please, please don't think this is just a repeat of what you've heard. It isn't. Don't, don't switch off. You will hear things that have already been said, um, but the point of revising anything at all is to embed it deep into our understanding, and it's important foundational stuff. And, and anyone who stands up here and teaches, it's a bit like what Anita said, it, you know, we're doing it to release things. We're not doing it because we've got to fill the time or anything. We want you to, and I want me, um, to understand and learn and embed the teachings of Jesus deep, deep into here. Okay, so the world, the flesh, and the devil, um, often they're known as the three enemies of the soul. Um, and we talked about what those things mean, how they manifest themselves in real life, and how we are to resist them. Um, and actually, whether and how we resist their influence directly impacts how successful we are um, as disciples of Jesus. Uh, it impacts how much life flings us around. Uh, it impacts how well we understand what Jesus uh, has called us to, how he's called us to live. Um, and it also impacts how often, I'm guilty of this, how often we return to our old knee-jerk responses when we're having a rough time. So I think it's really important stuff. I hope you do. Um, so one of the things we talked about was that our, we said that our ability to resist the influences of our enemies depends a lot on understanding how they operate, because you can fight the fight much better if you know your adversary's tactics. We talked about sport, didn't we, and that, like know your enemy. So although we've split it up into three, the world, the flesh, the devil, really our number one enemy is the devil and his demons and evil forces, etc. I'm just going to use devil and Satan, but you understand what I mean by that, the supernatural realm, which is against the heavenly realm of God. Okay, there's a fight going on. So he can use random events or situations which impact us, like, say, the death of a family member or some kind of, I don't know, bullying or whatever in childhood, or, you know, this is a really good one, never feeling quite good enough for your parents or your teachers or your friends or whatever. So he can use those, and very often we can trace our negative behavior or responses back to a specific event or maybe a specific time period of our lives. Um, and, and those things create a need or a fear or an unhelpful desire within us, which Satan will build on. That's a really good place for him. Satan's overall aim is to prevent people from turning to Christ. And if he fails in that, which he has done, hopefully, with most people anyway, everyone in this room, then he wants to turn us into something or someone who demonstrates the exact opposite 
of what pleases God. He does not care what devastation he causes in our lives or in the lives of the people we are close to. He will do whatever it takes to separate people from God's goodness. Make no mistake. And his favorite MO is to convince us that his lies are true and God's truth is a lie. And he'll, pr- and he'll prove it by pointing us or making us focus on circumstantial evidence. Um, sounds like a police drama, doesn't it? M.O. and <laughs> circumstantial evidence. M.O. means the way he works. If his strategy is successful, then he has gained an influence in our thinking. And once he's done that, it's a bit like, you know, when they say, um, like the blue touch paper and retire... That's kind of what he does. He sets up the thinking in our head and then he kind of leaves it to us. It doesn't really have to do that much because it's there and that's like the operating system and we just, we just do it. We're like puppets, you know? And he watches and we live and act out of distorted thinking because what we say and do is directly, to relate, directly related to what we believe. And if we believe lies, we are in big trouble. So if you, I don't know if you remember this, but I quoted a guy called Steve Biko, who was a black um, activist in, in South Africa in the 70s. If you've seen the film Cry Feet Freedom, you'll know who I mean anyway. He said this really important thing. The greatest tool in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. Okay, did you get that? The greatest tool in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. In other words, if you can convince me that something is true and get me to rely on or operate out of that truth, you've got me. You've got control over me in that area. And that, that I mean, that's what they would say is the basis of the apartheid system. Anyway, we won't go there. Um, so it's a really good question to ask ourselves. Who has control of our thinking in the different areas in our lives? So the devil is our main enemy but he's got two best friends to help him, the world and the flesh. Unfortunately, those best friends are sometimes our best friends too. (laughs) We think they're on our side, but actually they're being used as weapons against us, you know, a bit like a double agent. So we just want to have a quick recap on what uh, Rich was saying a few weeks ago about um, the world, okay? And um, he defined the world, we define the world as not the planet or not a collection of people, but the culture or the societal norms, the systems of practice in whatever country or community you live in, that culture is what's normal, what's normal or acceptable. What we see or read or listen to in the media will usually give us a good idea of the morals and acceptable behaviour in our culture. Um, And it's worth pointing out that although those things come at us externally, much of the way that a culture and a worldview develops comes from human experiences, like mass human experience across communities or, or even nations. So a lot of our culture is shaped by, for example, an internal response or a desire or an ambition or a fear of a mass of people. And if you think about like uh, COVID-19 or something like that, you, you, get, you get what I mean. You know, there was an external influence and it's sort, of sort of shaped culture for that time anyway. So if I was to mention a handful of things, you'll probably quite quickly be able to know 
what the Western worldview is on most of them. And the thing is, they influence government policy. They influence different age groups to different levels, and, and they influence standards of what's acceptable or what's essential, and those standards have changed over the years. So I'm just going to run through a few. Physical appearance, fashion, material goods. How much is okay to spend on those things? Diet, health, fitness, ditto. Attitudes to race and nationality. Lying, cheating and stealing, so long as the end goal is worth it. Sexual freedom, sexual identity, gender recognition, etc. Environmental issues, abortion, euthanasia, poverty, slavery, celebrity culture and the desire for fame. Marriage and family values, polyamory, adultery, divorce, entertainment culture. I haven't even done social media. So all of those things, if you, you know, they've all changed over the years. And some of the change is actually good. Um, not all change is bad. But much of the attitudes we're sort of made to embrace are actually subtly destructive to society. And some are actually brazenly against the word of God. So we need to be aware, okay? And 1 John 2.16 gives us a good um, summary of how we're affected. Okay, that's 1 John. I'm not use the NLT. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. And this is, this is the verse that I think is a seminal one. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Yeah, not much changes in 2,000 years, does it? <laughs> and actually, if you, if you were to go back to Genesis 3, to the original story of the, of the fall of man actually it's the same stuff you know eve she when she looked when the, uh, satan tempted her she looked at the fruit and it was it was good to look at good to eat and and good for gaining knowledge and it's it kind of reflects those three things so you know same old story <laughs> um so i thought we'd just quickly go through just have a quick look at a few things I and mean, you'll probably think of lots more actually but things that characterize our western society Immediate gratification. Why wait? Don't tell me what to do. Allow me to do what's right for me. I'm important. I am worth whatever it takes to make me feel good or happy or fulfilled. There's a redefinition of what's good, what's beautiful, what's noble. And truth and morals tend to be relative, never absolute. If you understand what I mean like that, by that, we compare. Oh, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, so it's okay. We like the comfort of faith, I'm talking about religious faith here, but not the commitments or the boundaries that we need to produce them. There is no God and no afterlife, therefore the state of my spirit and soul is of no importance. And this is my, probably my, when I say favourite, I don't like it. Majority opinion is the best judge. And the jury and the sentencing often happens in an online court. And I hope... Not too many of us have been victims of that, but we hear, don't we, of people who just become devastated by what happens on social media to them. Okay, so that's the world. <laughs> Deal with that. And uh, we also talked about the flesh. 
And, and this is kind of the thing that makes us different from animals. It's the kind of X factor, which means, which means that we are made in the image of God. He's, he's put something into us. Some people call it the soul. And that is it's like your, yourself, everything you are, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. It's your mind, your heart, your imagination. It's the seat of your deep desire, emotion, and passion. And it includes good things and also bad And in the Bible, the word flesh is often used to describe the destructive things that we say and do, um, what we really think in our heart of hearts, what we say to ourselves in secret, why we think and act in a certain way. The answer to all of those is somewhere there in our souls. And when people say, you must be true to yourself, you do need to ask yourself the question, which self am I being true to? My outer self, which is decaying and wasting away, or my inner self, which is being renewed day by day. That's in 2 Corinthians. When we act on our desires and appetites, we become enslaved to them. And that's great if they're good desires and good appetites, but it's potentially devastating if they're not. And Paul puts this quite well in Romans, and I'm going to read it, Um, Romans 6.16. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Satan wants slaves. He works closely with our own inbuilt desires, fears, or needs, and then he bombards them with cultural opinions, and then he watches to see where the two connect, and then he strikes. Now, I was chatting with Rob the other day, (laughs) and he reminded me that visual aids are often really useful to help understand and remember a concept. So, um, when I was on the train uh, yesterday or the day before, I was asking God, what visual aid can I use? And I think this is what he showed me. If it doesn't make sense to you, you can blame Rob or God. I don't mind. (laughs) Whichever one you like best. (laughs) So, come on, Karen. (laughs) I have my assistant here, my beautiful assistant, Karen. Okay, uh, do you want to get the first way? Because aid is a stepladder. Oh, you have to press the red button. I'm sorry if you're listening, by the way, because if you're listening to this online, you won't. I'll try and explain what we're doing. You won't laugh when I fall off. You won't laugh when Karen falls off. That is right. So we have a two-step stepladder here. This is not a perfect visual aid, okay? I'm just letting you know you will find flaws in it, but just, just you know, go with it. So I want you to imagine that we all have lots of mini versions of these that we carry around in our souls, in our hearts, in our imagination, you know, we, metaphorically, obviously. You know, lots and lots of these. Everyone has them. Jesus had them. They're just part of life. They're always there. They're just hanging around, minding their own business. Actually, let's close it. <laughs> and each one of these represents a potential for Satan to influence or control our thinking in a particular area. So this, this frame bit... Okay, that is the devil's constant activity. Okay, It goes on all the time because he's always at work. And what I mean to say by that is that Satan is always trying his luck with us. Okay, Now, we don't always notice because his tactics don't always work. But sometimes they do. And the way it works is that we open the stepladder. In other words, we give the devil a landing space in our minds, okay? That is a landing space. So you can see that it has two steps. 
And it doesn't matter now which step represents what, so I'm just going to go through what they are. The first step, let's say, is either our, is our, our flesh, our needs, our ambitions, our hopes, what we just talked about, okay? And if we gave, give space to the devil's suggestion... Hello, devil. <laughs> Sorry. It's like he can gain... Sorry, Karen. I don't know what I'm doing. Sorry, it's Karen. No. It's like he gains momentum from our weaknesses and he has somewhere to put his foot. Or, if you want to put it a different way, he has a foothold in his life. You can get on with both your feet. And then we've got another step, which represents the external influences of our culture or our communities or our families or whatever what tempts you to look good, you know, feel good, all that stuff that we said. They all work, to, work together, and the devil can step on either of those, and he has got a foothold in your life. Okay, you with me? <laughs> they work together, they make a mini-step ladder, and each step sort of stabilizes and gives access to the other. And he can go up and down it. He can concentrate on one thing or the other. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Come on, keep doing it. <laughs> Just want to make a public show. He's got a great little system going, okay? He's got a step ladder in your life. Once that ladder's open, once we listen to his words, we are in danger of giving the devil space. And any space we give him is too much, okay? Any space you give him in your thinking is too much. And if you remember from last time, the way we break bad patterns of thinking is... First, identify the lie, the thing we've accepted to be true. Then replace it with the real truth or the deeper truth because Satan can't handle the truth. <laughs> it's a line from my favorite film. <laughs> Please, you begin to press that truth into your thinking by repeating it and praying it. And by doing that, we close the steps. We knock Satan off, we close the steps. So we close the steps. He's lost his foothold on us straight away. We've toppled him. They're closed forever. That's really important. The devil has no more power over you in that area. It doesn't mean he won't try and trap you, though, because, you know, it's old ground. It's knee-jerk. That's what I was saying earlier on. You go back to your knee-jerk responses. He's always active. Remember, the frame still works. You know, it's just the steps that you can't use when it's closed. It's open. Never mind. <laughs> so don't... Reopen the stepladder. And if you do cave in and open them again, and we've done it, it is easy to deal with. And I might have time to come back to that at the end, but if I don't, I think you can work it out for yourself, okay? Or call a friend or whatever, okay? Um, so now would be a good time for us to just pause and reflect or make a mental note. If there are things you're constantly battling with, like in your thinking, or if you've got behaviour cycles or patterns, you know, that kind of thing... Do you have a set of stepladders open and ready for Satan to just go up and down or do what he wants, you know? Or even if you know you've dealt with things in the past, lies, distortions of the truth, whatever, but you keep repeating it or it keeps coming back to you at bad times, maybe you reopen the ladder. So just, yeah. If, if there is something like that, just bookmark it, okay? Two steps, flesh and the world. Okay, so what I want to do now is talk about what underpins that simple action we just did about closing the ladder, and it's really important. So just in case you haven't been listening, now's a good time to start. 
So we have this one enemy who uses two weapons to upend us. Yes, the devil is our enemy, and he uses the world and the flesh to upend us. But we also have this one ally who gives us weapons to empower us. Who is? Jesus. And I want to look at what Jesus achieved when he was on earth and what that means for us, specifically in the area of resisting the devil and eliminating, eliminating lies or distorted truth. Now, if you've hung around EFCC for a while, you will hopefully know that eventually the legal consequence of sin is death. But that our family connection to Jesus means that we can sidestep that, that sort of inevitable consequence, and instead we walk the path of eternal life. Okay, that's my paraphrase of Romans 6.23. So the consequence of sin is death. Okay, and by the way, that doesn't mean we can be, you know, casual or flippant about sin. If you want to know why not, then read the whole of Romans 6 and it will tell you. <laughs> so the consequence of sin is death. And, um, and, you know, I've mentioned Genesis 3. That it, it tells you in, in very good detail um, and demonstrates the kind of unbreakable link between sin and death. And, uh, and the whole of the Bible underlines that sin and death are linked and that Satan has a kind of, like, a, he, he's rightfully allowed to extract the price of death for any and every sin committed by man and woman. Um, so my sin gives him a legal right to punish me with death. And so God put a system of sacrifices, you know, into the Hebrew culture so that people could make restitution for, for their sin and you know, and it, it worked up to a point, but it didn't permanently deal with the power of death because you had to keep doing it and you had to cover yourself and whatever. So it's a simplified version. But when Jesus died and was resurrected, he pulled the plug out of the devil's power supply permanently. And there is no way back for Satan. His ship has sailed. <laughs> So, yeah, that definitely deserves a hallelujah. Come on. <laughs> Thanks for practicing with us, Helen. So let's take a look and remind ourselves. Can you do the next slide, please? Hebrews 2 says this. Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Hallelujah. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jill. And Paul puts it even more strongly when he writes to Timothy. Christ Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Succinct. Really good. That is the good news. That is the good news of the gospel. And then this passage, and I've actually used the children's version for this because I think it summarizes it really well. I love this. At one time, you were dead in your sins. Your desires, controlled by sins, were not cut away. But God gave you new life together with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. He wiped out what the law said we owed. What I was saying before about the, de the devil's legal right. The law stood against us. It judged us. But he's taken it away and nailed it to the cross. He took away the weapons of the spiritual powers and authorities and made a public show of them. And there's something about doing it publicly, isn't there? And triumphed over them by dying on the cross. No one can deny it. 
it's been done. And we get to live in the good of that victory over death. Um, Ian said the same thing last week in a different way, but, you know, it never gets old, does it? Um, so, what else has Jesus done? He's broken the power of sin and death. He's given us authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. He says that in Luke's gospel. Okay, one more thing from Revelation. Now have come salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, Satan, who accuses them both day and night, has been hurled down And they have triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. (laughs) Amen. So through salvation, because of Jesus' blood, the spoken word of our testimony can overcome the accusations, lies, and temptations of the devil. Brilliant. Okay. So here's a summary of what Jesus achieved. He destroyed death and broke death's power. He gave us authority and power to overcome the enemy. He left us with the Holy Spirit and the church. Okay, that, So he achieved those first two things. This is what he left us with, the Holy Spirit and church. When Jesus went to the Father, he left us with the Holy Spirit who counsels us, guides us, empowers, convicts, teaches, gives us spiritual gifts so we can pray in tongues against the devil. The Holy Spirit. Okay, And he gave us the church. And the church was birthed for many amazing purposes. But one of them is to provide us, the followers of Jesus, with a family of like-minded people who encourage us, support us, promote the work of God in each other. And that includes helping each other to recognize and resist enemy tactics. So he achieved the first thing. He's left us with the second two. And number three, we have the word of God, which is Jesus himself... As, as beautifully described at the beginning of John's Gospel, and this amazing life-giving book that Helen said, this lovely book, okay? I can't emphasize how much you need this. I cannot emphasize enough. You need to read it, get to know it, make it your best friend, okay? Your go-to, all right? It, 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 in it, it tells our story. It gives us our inheritance. It tells us our future. Like, yeah. So Jesus' example was perfect. He was was subjected to every temptation that we were. He demonstrated perfectly in the desert when he was tempted how to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil. Go back to our visual aid. He he had all the same metaphorical stepladders, mini little stepladders that we do, but every single one of them was folded up. He didn't even think about opening them up. The devil had no place to put his feet in Jesus' life. He tried, but he failed. And that can be our story too. If we stand on the good that Jesus has achieved, we are in such a strong position to spot enemy attack. So another visual aid. (laughs) I do love a ladder. (laughs) This is another step ladder. Not such a pretty one, unfortunately. But anyway. Oh, yeah, that's it. Well done. Okay. So you don't have to be Satan now. (laughs) So yeah, sorry, it's a bit mucky, but anyway. Uh, So this stepladder is to do with our mindset, okay? So we've got one of these, we've all got one of these, and we're allowed them, okay? We don't have to keep them open, uh, closed. We can keep them open, okay? It's a stepladder of resistance, okay? 
So gener Satan generally gets his hooks into us by the mind. So the mind is where we have to start with our resistance because the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. That's in Romans, Romans 8, I believe. So these stepladders of resistance <laughs> need to always be open in our life. They will give us a firm foundation on which to stand. So what do the three steps represent? They represent these three things, and there, there is an order to this, and it is important. Step one, we stand on what Jesus has done, and it's the first step because it's the most fundamental, okay? You can't have the others without that. He's destroyed death forever and given us the power to overcome Satan. Secondly, we stand on what he's given us, the Holy Spirit and the church. And finally... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Finally, we stand on the word of God, okay? Jesus himself, the word made flesh, our perfect example. His righteousness is our righteousness. It gives us access to the throne of the Father and to the riches of his grace. And also we stand on the Bible, on the holy scriptures, which give us a complete picture of who God is. And from that position, we can know Jesus and make him known. Look at us. We are on a solid foundation. And guys, we need to make sure that this is our default position all the time. Look, we're strong. <laughs> we're tall. We can see what's really going on. <laughs> we can be a rallying point for people. What's not to like? This, and it's our right. We're allowed it. You know, it's not we don't have to fight for it. It's given to us. Anyone who is a follower of Christ, you have got this, okay? So we want to make sure this is our default position. <coughs> Satan's activity is getting more and more pronounced, I believe. We dare not lose it. This is a position of authority and warfare, and there's a lot at stake. We need to be there all the time. Now, I'm just going to stretch the allegory just a little bit more. You might say to me, but when you stand on that ladder, you are really exposed and the enemy can take pot shots at you, which I suppose is true, but one of the scriptures you're standing on is in Ephesians 6, which says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy. So it might feel like you're exposed, but you are not. You are protected. Okay, not just from that scripture. There's, there's loads. You know, there'll be loads in the Bible that tells you. Anyway, we're not going to go to Ephesians 6 because that's for another day. Okay, and there's one last thing I want to do before this whole allegory collapses. <laughs> not literally. <laughs> Even if you're standing here, we can listen to the devil and we can give him a foothold. We, we do it, don't we? So in order to do that, you've either got to come... You can stay there, but you've either got to come down from the ladder in order to open this and, you know, make it work, which is not good, not a good position to be in. Or I think what we often do is, we, <laughs> while we're up there, <laughs> we pick up this ladder and we try and open it, because, you know, <laughs> and it's a bit precarious, because where are you going to put it and what's he going to stand on? And, it, and if you're, you know, if you are clothed with the armour of God, you're meant to have a sword in one hand and a shield in the other, and what you, you know, what are you going to do? It's a bit of a mess, isn't it? So, um... We cannot stand on the truth of the word of God and swallow the lies of the enemy. We have to choose which one we're going to do. It's a bit like 
what Rich was saying before, you cannot serve two. You can't have both. We've got to choose it. Okay. Okay. Time to... I'm going to clap here. No, no, no. Don't do that. You can come down now. (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm going to end now, I think. (laughs) So often with these things, we remember the visual aids, but not what they represent. So I hope I haven't confused you. But if we could... It's just gone 12, but if... If you can, if you could just have a couple of minutes to reflect on what I've said. I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit will put it all together for you and, and give it attention. And earlier on when I said about bookmarking anything, you know, where you felt that you've opened this step stool, this one here, and allowed saying, if we could just do that, um, then just allow God to minister you, to you and lead you to repentance. And if you do want prayer at the end, either connected with this morning or, or anything else taught, just if you can come up afterwards, that'd be great. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for sending Jesus. Thank you for those songs we sang this morning that's so full of truth, of what you've done, what you've achieved for us, what your promises are. Thank you that we can stand on the, the solid rock of what you've done. And thank you that we do not need to be slaves to sin or fear or death. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.